All right. Are you ready for the word this morning? All right. Jump up on your feet. And let's go. Let's go to Genesis. I want to finish up what I started. Can I do that? Genesis chapter 6. You can just turn that down just a little bit. Sila, thank you. Genesis chapter 6. Going back to Brother Noah. Dealing with Brother Noah here. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man that was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah, somebody shout, but Noah. But Noah found favor, one translation says grace, same word, in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time or in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence, same word for lawlessness. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And then the Lord said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. And because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms, and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch and this is how you shall make it the length of the ark is 300 and cubits which is about 450 feet long its breadth 50 cubits which is about 75 feet wide and its height 30 cubits which is about 45 feet tall verse number 17 and behold i'm even bringing the flood water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the in which which is the breath of life From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Verse number 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Look with me in chapter 7 there, verse number 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. You and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous. Somebody shout righteous. I've seen you to be righteous before me in this time. It's the same word for generation. In other words, in the midst of all the craziness, Noah was righteous, not in his own eyes, but in the eyes of God, in the middle of the generation. And I just want you to take notice here, and we're going to flip over to Hebrews real quick. But Noah built an ark. What he built saved his family. What you're building in your life is not just for you. It's for your family. 
Whatever you're doing in your life right now, it's not just for the, per- the preservation of your own soul, which is important, but it's also to bring many on board the lifestyle that you're building. Now watch this. Let's just go to Hebrews, and we'll, we'll end there. Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm just pointing this out because it all makes sense here in a minute. Hebrews 11, 7 says, And by faith... Noah, by faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence or in godly fear, prepared or built an ark for the salvation of his household, for which he condemned the world, and he became an heir of righteousness, of the righteousness which is according to his faith. Notice That he built an ark for the salvation of his household. Man, we've been preaching on this all month in July. I think it's important that your family gets into what you're building. Amen. There was a a movie, I think it was in 1989, 1990, somewhere in there. uh, A movie by the name of The Field Field of Dreams. Uh, Remember Kevin Costner? You know, remember, remember him and all that? And, and he was a farmer in the middle of a cornfield. And, and the, 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 the most famous line that continues to be repeated today is that if you'll build it, they'll come. Some of y'all act like y'all ain't never seen the movie. Maybe you haven't. But if you'll build it, they'll come. I just want to say, if you'll build it, people will get in on it. If whatever you're building people will sign up for amen so we've been talking about how to be faithful in a failing culture and i subtitled it this morning again it's risk takers what the world needs to see in the body of christ is some risk takers push on about three people around you and tell them i'm a risk taker now i'm a risk taker i'm a real genuine bona fide risk taker that's who i am i am a risk Take her. I want to pray for you and then you can be seated. Father, this morning we thank you and we give you praise and glory for what you're going to do in this place. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're alive. Holy Spirit, I thank you that the word of God is alive. It's sharper and it's quicker than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide and pierce. It's able to separate. Lord, we thank you today for where the word of God will take effect in the hearts of men and women. Holy Spirit, you're the preacher. You're the teacher. You're the revelator. You're the communicator. You're the revealer of every truth from the word of God. So, Father, we thank you that as we give you praise and glory for what you're about to do in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen and amen. Thank you this morning. You can be seated. Thank you, Selah. Hallelujah. In our text this morning, we find, again, and I I feel like I'm uh, repeating some of this, but but it's probably necessary to get to where I want to go. We find in our text this morning where Noah is living in what had become some very dark and difficult days. He was living in a society. He was living in a culture that just wasn't against God, but it was a culture that was hostile towards God. And Noah is living in a time when the earth, the entire earth, As we know it of that day, the entire earth is full of sin, is full of evil, and is full of corruption. 
society as a whole, culture as a whole, in his day, in his day, in Noah's generation, had become so vile, so godless, and so evil to the point that God had put a sentence on the earth with an expiration date. We didn't read it, but it's in your scriptures there in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 3. God said, my spirit will not always strive with man because man is all but flesh. And God had come to the point where he knew that mankind was no longer going to change their hearts. So he put a sentence on the earth and he put an expiration date to mankind and to the earth because it was so vile, it was so godless, and it was so corrupted. The Bible says, and we read this part, portion it said the heart and the imagination of mankind was so wicked that no good could be found anywhere I mean that's a pretty bad place when you can't find no good anywhere and I know we, we're living in a jacked up world I get it but I'm telling you there's still some good in the world we're not living as it were in the days of Noah yet but Jesus said those days are coming because in, when we, in fact, he begins to talk about it in Matthew. He says, when he talks about the Son of Man returning, he says it like this. As it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be in this generation. So, so, so those days are approaching us. So it shouldn't take us off guard that the world is progressively getting bad. But in the midst of the bad, the church ought to be getting stronger. In the midst of the church frailing out of control. In the midst of a failing culture, the church should be getting stronger. In fact, when I read my Bible, I find out that the church goes from strength to strength. We go from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And so, so, so while the world is tumbling and it's, and it's headed fast, out of control, the church ought to be headed in a direction where we're not losing control. And so he said the heart and the imagination of mankind was so wicked that no good could be found anywhere. That means there was not one aspect of man's nature that had not been corrupted or impacted by sin. There was, there was, there was no order to the earth. And there was widespread corruption. The culture in itself, society as we know it in that day, was as vile as you could get. It was as ugly against God as you can imagine. There was no leaning into God. There was no moving towards the things of God. It was like the culture had totally turned its back against God and it was going to do what it wanted to do. Almost sounds like the day we're living in. There was, there was no order, chaos, confusion, Everything imaginable was happening. I put this down in my notes this way because if your conscience is gone and the fear of God is no longer prevalent, then men become beasts and devils to one another, fighting and devouring each other at every turn. And that's the way it was in the days of Noah. It sounds like Washington, D.C. to me. When, when, when men can no longer just behave sensibly, it's a culture that is frailing out of control because your heart is away from God and man left to himself is destructive. 
Amen. I'm going to get somewhere in a minute. In the days of Noah, the people had become so comprehensively corrupt that evil was no longer a hidden agenda. It was being displayed openly. We're about to describe what we're living in, aren't we? To the point that no longer God was going to shield his judgment to come. And he says, I'm coming after the earth and I'm coming to destroy the earth and mankind in it because of the wickedness that has come up before me. When wickedness, I wrote it down this way, when wickedness becomes generalized, universal ruin is not far off. When, 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 when wickedness is just so generalized, like it means nothing anymore. And I'm not talking about the world's wickedness. I'm talking about when the church can wink at it and act like it's okay. I understand the world is going to be wicked. I understand the world is going to do what they do because it's godless. It has, it has no connection with God. If Jesus Christ is not in their hearts, if the Lord, of Savior, the, the, the Lord our God, their Savior, is not ruling and reigning in their hearts, the world is headed to a path of destruction. And we understand it, even according to Isaiah 59, he says, truth has fallen in the streets and there is no righteousness to be found. We understand that when the world is separated from God, there is a downhill spiral that begins to take place. And I'm okay with that because... That's our target. That's who we're after. But I get really upset when I see the church heading in the same direction that the world is heading in. Because there ought to be a distinction. Uh, I'm about to get there. There ought to be a distinction between the world and God's people. When, when, when the world sees the church, it ought to be that visible representation of an invisible world that they cannot see. And when they see the church, they ought to see Jesus. So here you have Noah living in these days to the point that God was done. Like he's like, I've had it. The whole world had become a wicked place. Hostile against God. Hostile in society. Culture was hostile. And it was filled according to biblical, historical, even in our reading this morning. The world was filled with immorality. The world was filled with violence. The world was filled with lewdness, vulgarity, fighting, killing, and blaspheming. That was the picture of Noah's day. That's what the whole world looked like. And then on top of all of that, you had unbridled demon possession. Where you had fallen angels that had infiltrated mankind. And these fallen angels were having sex with women. And you had demonized populations. How vile does it have to get for people to have sex with demons? And that's, in fact, Jude gives us a clear understanding. Jude chapter, uh, verse number six, he says, this will be on the screen. He says, angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. They, they, They left their appointed realms and they began to have cohabitation with women and they produced a demonic society Mm. how many know that demons can only function through a body that's the way demons work that's why demons have to inhabit something that's that's why you have demon possession because a demon cannot manifest without inhabitation 
So demons are looking for a place to manifest. That's why when Jesus cast the, 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 the demons out of the, the, the pigs, remember what the demon said? He said, don't, don't, or when he cast the, the demon out of the man that was in the cave. Remember that? Remember he was living in the, uh, in the mountains there, and he was breaking chains, and, 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 and the demons cried. I said, don't, don't just throw us out anywhere. At least put us in the pigs. Because they got to have something to possess. And some of the things that we see going on in our world today, it's nothing more than a manifestation of demon possession. It's not all medical. It's demon possession. Because spirit beings need to express themselves. Now, how many know that, that, that you can't cast out flesh? You have to crucify flesh. But you can cast devils out. So you had all this going on. But here, here's where I'm trying to get to. But in the midst of the widespread corruption, in the midst of the lawlessness in the midst of the widespread evil in the midst of man's highest order and hostile against God the Bible says we read it that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord Noah didn't earn grace he found it hallelujah hallelujah how many know that you can't earn grace, but you have access to it? That, that word found in the, in the Greek there, or the Hebrew there, is the word masah, which literally means to acquire. It means to meet, or to detect, or to discover. It literally means to encounter. That'll be on your screen right there, if the guys just catch up. It means to encounter. It means to encounter. Noah encountered God. You know how you survive a hostile culture? You got to have God moments. You got to have encounters with the living God. Noah encountered God. Noah didn't just try to make it off his own strength. He didn't just try to get through by his own ability. The Bible says that Noah found grace. Noah encountered God. One of the things that we need right here in Sugartown. We need a Holy Ghost, old-fashioned, filled outpouring of the Holy Spirit to wake up dead, lethargic, don't want to be nothing kind of church people. You remember in those days when we used to pray and cry all night, believing God for, for him to move and to touch people at our altars? Now we're on a time schedule. Get me in and get me out. We drive people in like cattle and we drive them out like cattle. But I'm trying to tell you what Noah found was more than just a service. What Noah found was more than just a religious punch in your clock just to see how fast I can get in and get out. Noah had a living experiential moment with God. That's what we need. That's what our world needs. And the only way that you live in a hostile culture, you got to have these God moments. You got to have these encounters with God. He found grace. He didn't stumble on it. He didn't just happen to discover it. He found it because he was looking for it. Whew. I am convinced of this. You can have as much God as you want. It all boils down to your pursuit. Noah lived in the worst imaginable conditions of society. It's never been that bad since Noah. And here Noah lived in the worst 
possible conditions that the world could ever come to, yet he was righteous. Yet he was blameless. And the Bible says, and he walked with God. Boy, let that be our testimony. In the midst of a crazy culture, in the midst of a jacked up society, let him at least know that I'm righteous, I'm blameless, and I'm walking with God. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the world does. I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to be blameless, and I'm going to be walking with God. He found grace. How many know that you can't earn it, but you can have access to it? Look, look in this, this scripture real quick. Uh, Romans chapter 5. Try to make some sense of it here. Romans chapter 5, verse number 20. And the law came in so that transgression would increase. That's interesting to me. The law came in so that transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Mm. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now watch this. The law came and it only increased our transgressions. It pointed out to us how far away we were from God. That's what the law did. The law is a schoolmaster. The law teaches us where we're missing God. So the law came and it showed us how far our transgressions had been removed, how far our life with our transgressions had been removed from God. But the beauty of the gospel that we have is that where sin is multiplied, grace is much more multiplied. So what I'm trying to say to you on this side of the covenant, on this side of the new covenant, we're not living under the curse as Noah's was in his days, but we're living under a period now where it, no matter how bad sin gets, grace is much more abounding. So that ought to give everybody in this room hope today that no matter how far somebody is gone from God, as long as they're breathing, they've got hope. Okay, so, so, so the, just, let me just, a little, little bit of theological things here. The purpose of the law, the purpose of the law was to make our sin obvious. You wouldn't know that you were a sinner unless you knew the law. Which makes now our need for redemption more evident. I said this to you last week, that the grace of God is not just a doctrine. The grace of God is a person. Named Jesus Christ. I'm not just after a doctrine. I'm after a person. I'm not just after a theological text. I'm after a living, breathing person. That lives on the inside of me. So the more we sin. Or the more we see sin. As a violation of God's perfect law. Because how many know that God's law is perfect? the more we stand in all of God's grace toward us. I mean, all know in this room we didn't get what we deserved. That's called grace. Huh? And if we kept on reading there in Romans, it, it went on to talk about how, how sin reigned in death, but now we live in righteousness through Jesus Christ. So, 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 so sin may have reigned in death, but through Christ we reign in righteousness. Oh, my Lord. 
That means I am in a right standing with God. Noah was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. In a culture that was totally against God. So look at your neighbor and tell him you ain't got no more excuses. Well, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Well, I just, I, I, I'm drawn to it. Well, that's because you're drawn to it because that's where your heart is attached to. You have to learn how to deal with sin as an enemy. And you got to bring it before the Lord. You got to get it crucified at the cross. Okay, okay. Let me show you this scripture here. Oh, Lord. I, I, I don't, don't want to get ahead of myself, but I feel like I'm going to have to to save time. Go with me to Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. Watch this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing what? Salvation, Salvation to a few people. Now, everybody has access to it. All men. Watch this. And this is what the grace does. It instructs us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly. Boy, we need to be, we need enough fresh baptism of sense in our world again. Huh? I mean, we could just start there. Let's just have some sense in America again. Just, I mean, just normal common sense. Like a boy is a boy. A girl is a girl. It's just sense. Killing a baby is murder. It's just sense. I feel like I'm losing my amens. It's just common sense. Rogue people elected in office, this makes a country go bad. That's sense. It's just sense. It's just common sense and this is what it's teaching us it says grace instructs us to deny ungodliness worldly desires and to live sensibly here's our word again righteously and godly in this present age grace is not a license to sin so you can ask for forgiveness later Because I hear it all the time. Well, I'm under grace. Well, we all are under grace. But it's not a license to sin. The Bible says if you know to do good and you do it not to you, it is sin. So when you keep pressing on the boundaries of what you want, that's called worldly desires. And when you keep pressing into those worldly desires, then you get worldly results. Paul was talking to Timothy and he's saying right here, you can understand that you can have grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness. Grace empowers you to say no to sin. Come on, you ought to be, you ought to be responding a little bit harder than that. I'm trying to help the church culture don't become like the world culture. You can say no to sin and you can say yes to God. It may not be comfortable, you may not like it, and it may go against everything in your flesh. It may go against your ideology, ideology background, your upbringing. It may come against everything that you have been formed and fashioned by. But at the end of the day, what is truth is not your idea or your opinion. What is truth is God's word. And then when you don't stand on God's word, then everything around you is shakable. Everything around you is sifting sand. So grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. I don't have to look at all that that comes on my phone. 
What's that thing called? Algorithms? We can tell. We can tell what you look at the most because it keeps coming up. That's a rhythm. That's a rhythm. That's a rhythm. Y'all ain't got to look at me. That's a rhythm. That's a rhythm. We can tell what's feeding your soul. It's a rhythm. It keeps popping up. The reason why it's popping up is because you keep clicking on it. I can see me now. I'm going to unfriend Pastor Church. I'm unfriend. He ain't going to be able to watch nothing I see. I'm unfriend. You know what? I don't care. I was preaching before Facebook, and I'll be preaching after Facebook. I don't really care. I'm not in it for likes. I'm in it for a message. It's a rhythm. So what you may have to do is you got to change the rhythm of your life. you got to change the rhythm of your walk. The Bible says that Noah was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. I found out this. When I'm walking with God, I'm not walking to the drumbeat of the world. And the closer I get to him, the less he lets me get away with. That means I don't have a right to be mad. I don't have a right to be ugly. I don't have a right to have a bad temper. Huh? And and we're dealing with family and household salvation. One of the worst attacks that the enemy does, he attacks families. That's why why God put it in. He says, and all of Noah's household got on board. And the enemy attacks your family because he knows that's the dividing point. That's the place. If he can destroy families, he can destroy a society. That's why we got family members that won't talk to each other. Hadn't talked to each other in months, in years, in days. Are you kidding me? You were born again. You're born again. You should be the bigger person. Well, you don't know what they did. I don't want to know what they did. I want to know what Christ did for you. Lord, help the church when I get on rabbit trails. I feel that. I felt, I felt that one. I ain't talking to them no more. They mean to me. So is the world. You keep showing up there. My job's mean to me, but you get that paycheck. It's amazing what you'll do when you're for sale. I feel the culture pressing. I feel it. Noah was exceptional, not because he had gifts, not because he had talents, which he had all of that, I'm sure. The Bible doesn't even lend to that. The Bible doesn't say, well, Noah, I'm going to use Noah because he's a shipbuilder. Noah's been building boats since his childhood. I'm going to use him. We don't even know that. In fact, Noah lived 100 miles away from the nearest ocean. Can you imagine building a boat 100 miles away from the ocean? The nearest body of water was 100 miles. That's like from here to Miami. He was not exceptional because he had the ability to build boats. He was exceptional because he was righteous in a wrong culture. He was exceptional because he was blameless in a jacked up culture. He was exceptional because he walked with God when everything in the world was against God. That's what made him exceptional. In a culture that had totally rejected God. In a culture that had totally become so vile and demonically induced. Noah was in right standing with God. 
Bible says he was blameless, which means he had good integrity. In other words, if he says, I'm going to be there at 7 o'clock, he shows up at 7 o'clock. In other words, when he was doing business deals, he didn't do it for a profit under the table. Can't find no help in here, but I'm going to keep on preaching. Here's the understanding of our day. If Noah could do it in his day, we have no excuses not to do it in our day. If Noah can be surrounded by every level of evil that you can think of, I mean to the point that demons were having sex with women and producing children. If Noah could live righteous and blameless in that day, we have a chance. Look at your neighbor and say, you got a shot right here. You got a shot. You got a shot. You can make it. You can make it. I, I, listen, I, don't, I, I know some people just, they may get sideways with me. I get it. I don't understand. But, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care for the foolishness of why you can't make it. The same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus that raised him from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that's in you. The, the, same, the same temptations you fight with, I have to fight with. The same mad spirit you get, I get. <laughs> I get it too. I get it. I get it. And I'm not perfect because sometimes I have to repent. You remember that word, repent? That's an old-fashioned church word. Repent means to change your mind. Mataneo, change your mind. Change the way you think about a thing. Mm. Noah was faithful in his assignment. He was faithful in his consecration, and he was faithful in his devotion towards the things of God. The question has to be asked, can we be found faithful in a world so polluted by evil? Can you be found faithful on your job? Can you be that living witness where you work? Let's just break it on down. Can you be that living witness in your family? Jesus said in Luke 18, 8, he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Noah found grace in the eyes of God. The literal translation is, Noah found grace face to face with God. Everything in your life changes when you live in the face of God. When you live in the face of God, worldly desires no longer have an appetite for. I'm not saying we're not drawn to it. I'm not saying we're not tempted by it, but I don't have an appetite for it. Godless living, I don't have an appetite for. Because when I'm living face to face with God, everything else in my life becomes secondary, not primary. I'm going somewhere with this if y'all can catch on. And I'm telling you, this is how the church overcomes. We talk about, we pray about this all the time. We've been doing it for years. We're praying over our city. We pray over our nation. We pray over uh, racism, prejudice, all this stuff. We pray, we've been praying stuff. Whatever, whatever the culture is trying to twist and bend, we come against it in the name of Jesus. And we've been standing strong. But you know what? You know what wins a city? You know what wins a nation? You know what wins an entire region? Is when there's people that are called out from among them. That don't look like what they do. Because they're walking to a different kind of drumbeat. They've been filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And they know something about that power. It's power to say no. It's power to resist. It's power to walk away when he's trying to get you in bed. 
It's power to say, no, I ain't got to go get drunk just because all my buddies are getting drunk. Oh, and I'm just using vague examples, but y'all get the point. Okay. Let me, let, me, let me get to this before we get out of time here. The Bible says, we read it, that he had to seal the boat with pitch. Somebody shout pitch. He said, seal the boat with pitch. The Hebrew word for pitch there is the word atonement. Hmm. Atonement, this will be on the screen, means to cover, to pacify, to appease, or to cleanse. The boat was sealed with atonement. Just like you and I are sealed with the atonement of Christ. So what was on the outside couldn't get in on the inside because it was sealed with the atonement. So what the world was doing out here culturally didn't matter because I'm in here sealed with the blood of Christ. He became, the old King James, he became the propitiation for my sins. In other words, he took my place when a holy God who is just and righteous when a holy God, because of the law, saw me and my sin and my sickness and my diseases, Jesus became the atonement for my life. And he stood between me and the wrath of God. And the wrath of God, the Bible says, was poured out on Christ when he was on the cross so that I could be free today. So that I could be sealed up by what the world has to offer. Said so you shall cover it with pitch inside and outside. How many of you know that it ain't just good enough to look good on the outside? You better have some pitch on the inside. Don't just talk your religious game on the outside. <laughs> Woo, just begin to live it from the inside out. I'm not serving Jesus because it's popular. I'm serving Jesus because he saved me. If you want popularity, go to Hollywood. Which is what a lot of the church has done. Now we got non-commissioned preachers, celebrity pastors, won't say the truth, won't say nothing from the pulpit because they don't want to offend the people that they're called to help deliver. That's celebrity pastors. I'm just trying to tell you that ain't how you win the world. You win the world by drawing a line in the sand and say, "This is where God is, and this is where the world is, and you got to make a decision. The wrath of God, the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 3, the wrath of God was satisfied when he poured it out on Jesus on the cross. He said, you got to seal it inside and out. Put that pitch, put that atonement on the inside and out. Whew, man, what a powerful demonstration of how the blood of Christ seals us from the works of the enemy. Because what's on the outside couldn't come in on the inside that means you can walk in a hostile culture come on talk to me up in here come on Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego you, you can stand before King Nebuchadnezzar and not bow down to the powers of the, bay, of the day because I'm sealed on the outside and I'm sealed on the inside praise the Lord I felt that
it was pitched on the inside and on the outside. As parents in here today, what are we pitching to our kids? What do our kids see? Do they just see godliness when we come to church? Or do they see it in the walls of our house? Do people just know you come to church on a Sunday or do they see you on Tuesday? Man, they were cussing up a storm. And not that that's going to put you in hell. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying it does become your testimony. Can you be pitched publicly and privately? Can you be pitched in your worship, in your prayer time, in your example? I know you've heard me say it before. I mean, you know, we got amazing daughters and son-in-laws, Karen and I do. We've got seven incredible grandchildren, the best grandchildren on the planet. That's a joke. I just like, okay, whoo. They are in our eyes. And I found myself, especially in recent years, starting all over. Because I feel like I got to do my part to the people that God has put in my sphere of influence. So it wasn't like when Brittany married Jesse, like I'm off the hook. In fact, I got on the hook even more. I was a little nervous about Jesse. <laughs> I just didn't. It wasn't like I was off the hook when, when Vanessa married Carlos. And then when they started having babies, I mean, Karen and I have talked about this a lot in our own home. Like, we have a spiritual responsibility to the people that God has entrusted to us. Not just our family, but this entire church. Somebody asked me a while back, why do you preach so hard? Because you need it. You need it. The world preaches its message just as hard and fast and as furious as it can. And you let somebody get up here and preach and like challenge you a little bit. And you go, oh my God. Like, oh my God, what? Because how many know that as, as a family, every time you prioritize the things of God, you're building an ark of safety for those that are around you. And what I liked about Noah is that when he got involved in building the purposes of God, he got his kids involved. What did Noah's Molair and Curly do? They picked up a hammer and a saw and they went to nailing nails and cutting boards. Because he's got his children involved in the work of the Lord. I get amazed by parents who don't make their children serve in the house of God. I get really amazed by, well, that, that, I don't want to push them. Are you kidding me? The world's pushing them. The world is pushing and it's pushing hard. In fact, the world's not even pushing. The world is grabbing. Well, I don't want, you know, I don't want to, they don't want to, I don't want them to make that kind of sacrifice where they got to show up for practice. Well, they show up for ball practice five days a week. <laughs> Mike, check. Is it on? Mike, check. 
Well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make them. Are you kidding me? You make them go to school. Hopefully you make them mine. Well, I don't feel like minding you today, mama. Okay, that's fine. Go to the dentist is your next stop. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Even though you felt it. No, I'm just saying. Noah got his family involved in the work of the Lord. You know how, you, you know why God gave you children? It's not so that you could live vicariously through them. God gave you children so you could extend the kingdom of God to the next generation. God didn't give you children so you can play ball, so you can do this, so you can do that, so you can just be some, some, some sort of vicariously person living through what you never did through your child. God gave you your, your children so that you can promote the kingdom of God to the next generation and to the generation that's coming after them. That's why God gave you children. I feel that right there too, boy. I feel it. That's why I gave them to us. Because our job is to get them involved. You say, well, my kids are grown and gone. All right, I get it. Put some prayer on it now. I mean some wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth kind of prayer. I mean where you crying out to God for your children. Yeah, that's how you have to do it. Let me, let me finish with this because we're rapidly running out of time. And I've got a bunch of good notes here. But we're not going to be able to get to it all. For the past 50 years or so, most of Christianity has done its best in America, in America's culture, has done its best. Most of the Christianity has done its best to fit into the American culture. And the reason why it's done its best to fit into it is because it has lacked the power to influence it. So rather than standing strong and being righteous, blameless, and walking with God, we try to fit into it, think that we can win it. That ain't how you win it. You don't win culture by being like culture. You win culture by your distinctiveness. This will be on the screen for you. We have to be careful that we don't try to fit into what we've been called to deliver. Somebody shout amen on that one right there. Don't fit into what you've been called to deliver. Because I get the argument, well, I don't want to be labeled a religious whatever. I don't want to make the devil mad. He's already mad. He's been mad ever since Jesus kicked him out of heaven. He ain't been right since. Well, I don't want to upset him. He's already upset. Well, I don't want him coming after me. He's already coming after you. And he's coming with every level of vengeance evil can muster up. Because he may not pull you away from God as far as your eternal security and knowing Jesus Christ. But if he can distract you from your purpose, he'll thwart the influence that God gave you while you were alive on this planet. I don't want to be labeled religious. Okay, so we just become passive because that's the only other alternative. You have to understand, Noah, you're living in a culture that is shifting all around you. Everything in your culture, Noah, is extreme. Everything in your culture is against God. 
And this is not a moment. If I could say that to this house, this is not a moment for this church to be passive. The stakes are high. This is not a moment for us to be passive in our approach to God. If the only time you open your Bible is on a Sunday morning, you're passive. If the only time you worship God is on a Sunday morning, then you're passive. If the only time you pray is when somebody says, bow your head, then you're passive. We have to have this understanding of God that it's got to be more than just about me. It's got to be what my influence, my realm is. Noah built a boat, the Bible says in Hebrews, for the salvation of his household. You may not influence the county. You may not influence the city. You may not influence the world. But you can influence your household. That's where it starts. So we're living in the days of extreme, extreme, extreme everything. Extreme sports. Extreme fashion. Extreme politics. Extreme diets. People starve themselves to death to look better. That's good. You're pitched on the outside, but on the inside, Jesus said you're full of dead men's bones. Pretty and clean on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. (laughs) You so plastic up, you're almost fake. I kid you not. I saw this on TV uh, the other day. It was uh, Donald Trump. What was his wife's name that died? Uh, Ivanka. Ivanka. And it's just a little news flash thing, and and they showed the, the funeral there. And I don't know much about them or anything like that. But it caught my eye because in, in the funeral there, there was a lady behind one of the boys, Donald Trump's sons or whatever. And, boy, you could tell. Boy, she was so plastic up. And I, don't, I mean this in a, not, not in an ugly way, but she had so been plastic up, her face was so disfigured that you could tell it. Because it was a natural thing. Because I'm trying to look natural, naturally beautiful. Isn't that what the church is trying to do? We're just trying to put all the natural stuff on the outside. We're doing all these cosmetic surgeries on the outside, but we're not fixing the real issue that's on the inside. That's why Jesus looked at the religious leaders. He looked at the Pharisees. And I mean, somebody always, you know, they put Jesus on this pedestal. like He was so loving and so kind. You didn't walk with Jesus. Jesus was loving and he was kind, but also Jesus carried a sword. He was a worshiping warrior. That's what he was. And Jesus looked at the Pharisees. He looked at the religious crowd. He said, you know what? He said, he said, you are like whitewashed tombstones. You look pretty and clean on the outside. You have the law. You have the scriptures, and you can quote it. And you, and you make people make you think that you're doing really well. But on the inside, you are full of dead men's bones. Whoo. Come on, we don't want the church to become that. We want the church to be alive. We want the church to be vibrant. We want the church to be distinctive. We want the church to understand that we're living in a culture that is messed up. But we're not going to be like the culture because we've been pitched on the inside and we've been pitched on the outside. Come on, look at your neighbor next to you and tell them, I got some pitch on me, baby. Come on, tell them, I got some pitch on me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because here's the thing, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we are not careful, I'll wait for at least 30% agreement. If we are not careful. All right, that's 25%. If we are not careful. 
If we are not careful, we build our churches around making people happy. And we reduce the power of the gospel to life skills. Like, I want to stand up here and teach you how to put your shopping buggy back in the right spot. But that's what we have taught our churches. We teach our church. This is how you shake a hand. Are you kidding me? The gospel is more powerful than a buggy. And I'm not saying those things are not important because they are. But you ought to be learning them in your home. And if you didn't have a chance to learn them in your home, we got some classes coming up in the fall that will help you. I'm telling you, we're going to help you. We're going, we got classes coming up. We're going to help people get out of debt. We're going to help, people. We're going to help a lot of stuff. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not discarding that. That's not important. I'm just saying it's not the main thing. Because we have built our churches around making everybody happy so everybody will like us. And now our worship, our worship, would ought to be the expression of our love to God where we begin, where, where we begin to bind up principalities and powers where we begin to lock down the region in corporate agreement, in worship, letting the devil know that anything can happen in here because we gathered together. Now our worship has become cheap entertainment because now we have people coming to church not to worship but to observe. And what I'm trying to tell you, God is way beyond those days and the church ought to be way beyond those days. Noah, you're living in a culture that you don't have time to be passive. This is the time to realize that if you don't build what I'm calling you to build, you can lose your whole family. Amen. Okay, so let me finish because it, it is late. So I, I said this to you last week, but, but Noah built something he knew nothing about to survive what he had never seen. He didn't know anything about building boats, and he didn't know anything about rain, floods, and storms. But he built it out of faith. By faith, Noah prepared an ark by faith Noah built an ark Hebrews 11 7 for the salvation of his household in other words if nobody else gets it I'm going to make sure my family gets it hallelujah and how many know that sometimes you just have to look silly doing what you're doing until the rain begins to fall Sometimes you just have to look out of place until the rain begins to fall. Noah is building something that everybody else is laughing at. He's building something that everybody else is criticizing. It looks ridiculous. But his goal, watch me now, Facebook lovers, his goal was not to have another like. His goal was to be accepted in the eyes of God. I'm not building this for you to like what I'm doing on Facebook. I'm not building this so that you can say, oh, look at Noah. I'm building this because something is eternal that's at stake. And I'm building something right here, right now. And it don't look good. It don't feel good. But I'm building it right now. How many of you ever had to just pray when it didn't feel good? You had to fast when it didn't feel good. You had to worship when it didn't feel good. You had to come to church when it didn't feel good. But you just keep doing it day in and day out. You just keep showing up and getting the job done. Just keep building and building and building and building and building. How many times do I got to say it before you agree with me? And building and building and building. 
If you can't say amen, give me a good old Baptist nod. I'll take that. Building something here. I'm building something for my family. I'm building something for the generations to come. I remember when we started this ministry in 1990, and we didn't have none of this property. None of these buildings were here. We were in a little store. Actually, we started at the youth center. That's where we started. We started in the youth center. We met there for a couple of months in the youth center. Had to put tablecloths over the pool tables. That's, why, that's how we started it. And we started it with all this in mind. We started it not knowing how God was going to do it. Come on, Noah. We started it not knowing the outcome of how God was going to make it work. But the, but, the, but the key was we started. And we just kept on showing up. We just kept on building. And we just kept on building. And we just kept on building. Another couple of years from now, people are going to see all these buildings and they're going to say, my God, how did that little band of people do all that? It's because we just kept on building. We just kept on showing up. We just kept on praying. We just kept on believing God. In spite of everything, we just kept doing what we were. How, how are you going to get the animals on board? No, I don't know. Oh, no. That ain't my job. How are you going to get them buildings paid for? I don't know. That ain't my job. God said to build them. And if y'all would see the church checking accounts, if y'all see that, say, how are they getting all that done? I don't know. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's like God just keeps providing. Just keeps providing. Just keeps providing. How I many like when you become faithful in your tithes and offerings? God just keeps providing. He just keeps providing. How I many when you become sporadic in your tithes and offerings, you become sporadic in your harvest? Then you get mad at God like it ain't working. No, you're the one who quit. <laughs> well, now, no, you got this thing built. It's uh, 450 feet long. It's pretty impressive. 75 feet wide, four stories tall, one window. Pretty impressive. You got it pitched on the inside. You got it pitched on the outside. Pretty impressive. How? You've been preaching now for 120 years while you're building this thing. 120 years, God's going to make it rain. Oh, they heard the stories. It's going to rain and God's going to save the earth with whoever gets on board. What about the animals? God's going to put them on board. Well, how? Here comes your logic. Well, how are you going to wrangle up all them animals? I don't know. The safest place to be with God, in my opinion, is when you don't know the outcome. Because now you're living by faith. Well, we know you got a few ropes over here. Maybe you're going to lasso the lion. No. I just believe God's going to speak to the animal kingdom like he speaks to the human kingdom. Mr. Lion's going to look at Miss Lion and go, Rawr! <laughs> Daddy Elephant going to look at Mama Elephant and go, Rawr! 
can you imagine? I mean, some of y'all laugh because you think that's stupid. Can you imagine being in Noah's day? I mean, that's like, that's the equivalent of, hey, Peter, you got to pay your taxes. This is, the, this is the prayer I'm praying. Peter, you got to pay your taxes. Okay, what do I need to do? Go and fish on the other side of the boat. And whatever fish you catch, when you bring it up, open up its mouth, and you're going to find your, the money inside the fish's mouth. Oh, I pray that prayer all the time. Lord, help me, help me pay my taxes. Let me go fishing. There it is. See, the, the, the problem with the church world is we become so logical in the natural world that we overrule the spiritual world. And you know what's more important, what's more powerful, what's more prevalent? It's not the natural world. It's not even the chair you're sitting in. What's more important is the spiritual realm that's all around you. Angels right now are being dispatched based on prayers that the saints have prayed. Angels are moving. Oh, my Lord. That is where God's trying to get the church to, not away from. That's why he needs some risk takers. Come on, no, it don't make sense, but you got to be a risk taker. Whew, you got to put all your chips in on this one right here, Noah. You got you to give it everything you got. I know people are laughing at you. People are criticizing you. We, Karen and I had a situation just this week. We, 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 we were just trying to help family members and stuff, and, and, and the word came back to us like, well, all y'all do is care about the church. Well, yeah. Yes, we do. You better believe it, we do. I hope you care about your job. All y'all do, y'all just spend all that time at the church. Yes. That's our commission. That's our calling. That's our assignment. I hope when you go to work, you don't just give them two hours when you got to be there for eight. And then expect the same pay that somebody's given eight. This is, this is what got me when I was just working through Noah here. He built what nobody else could understand. And he looked like a fool until the rain began to drop. That's the level that God wants the church to live at. When the world can't define you, but the results are going to be the evidence of what you believe for. The world can't make no understanding of it. I'm telling you, just, just, I hope this gets out. People are looking at us right now like, how are they going to build all these buildings? Where are they getting that money? They must be doing a drug ring down there. Where are they getting all that money? Listen, if a drug dealer gets saved, I'll take his $100. <laughs> Bring it up here in a brown bag if you have to. I don't care. Somebody said, that's drug money. No, that's God's money. We know how to sanctify it. <laughs> People are watching, like, how are they going to do all that? Because, you know, see, we, we, went, we, we hit this road about almost 20 months ago now. In January, it be 20 months. We hit this road when we announced it publicly, what we're about to do. And people are waiting. The devil's waiting so he can bring discouragement. I just love that. <laughs> I just, I, not, not out of arrogance or cockiness. I just love it because I love it when people can't figure God out. I just love it when people are trying to figure out how are they doing it. I, listen, I wish I could tell you how we were doing it. 
we don't have a game plan. We just pray like Dr. Youngie Joe. We just pray and obey. <laughs> We just, we just believe in God as we go. But the rain's coming. The rain's coming. The rain's coming. And whatever you build is going to be the ark of safety for those that are closest to you. Come on, if you believe that, give God a praise. Come on, jump up on your feet. Come on, stand up on your feet. We got to quit. Oh, we got to quit. I, oh, my Lord. Had about... 11 pages of notes. I'm on page five. Does that make any difference? <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm telling you, this stuff just gets in me. And I know we're, uh, I don't want to abuse your time. Hallelujah. Thank you for praying for Karen and I. We, were, we missed last Sunday. Pastor Mark preached an amazing word, and, and just we were able to get away. It's the, first, it's the first Sunday that I had off other than the one Sunday in June where I took a couple days. So I was able to, Karen and I were able to get a little bit of it. I believe that I love my wife so much. We went from 98 degree weather to 115 degree weather. <laughs> I said, baby, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take you out of Florida and put you in Arizona. <laughs> I found out where hell begins. <laughs> we were riding across it. We, we were looking at each other and said, I bet you this is right, right up under here is where hell is. Right here. Right up under, right up under the surface. That's where hell is. I mean, it was like 110 degrees at, a, at 7 o'clock at night. I loved it, though. I was like, I'm in my element. Mountains, and heat, and wild animals. I loved it. But I was thinking this about Noah here as we close. Because some of you may, I don't want you to feel like you've overshot your runway. Like, my kids are grown, my kids are gone, and there really ain't nothing left I can do now. Here's what I want to say to you. Noah was 500 years old when God called him to build the ark. His kids were grown. They were probably at least 300. <laughs> Y'all get them good work. Dad, I feel old. Don't talk to me about old. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, it's never too late to start building in life. It's never too late. Noah was 500. God says, I'm going to put a death sentence to the earth and mankind. My spirit's not always going to strive with man because he's nothing but flesh. In other words, it becomes so rotten to the core that I'm going to judge it. So Noah had, had 120 years. That's what God gave him. 120 years to build that boat. I know people who give up on God after 120 minutes. Noah built that boat for 120 years. And the Bible says in 2 Peter that he was a preacher of righteousness. So for 120 years, he's preaching. Guys, judgment's coming. Please, will you get on board? The wrath of God is going to be poured out. Will you please get on board? I'm not trying to put a, a conviction that where you scare your family members into heaven because if you scare them into heaven, you'll have to keep them there. 
But you do have to tell them the truth. That apart from Christ, you're going to perish and you're going to live in eternity without God. Well, they're just good people. No, if they're not saved, they are dead to God. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. I got this overwhelming. I started it in in late middle June. I had this overwhelming feeling for household salvations. And Karen and I, we, we talked a lot about it last week, and then Thursday and Friday we had to run all the way up to Fort Benning, Georgia, a road trip up there to watch Max and Amber's son, Max's son, uh, Justin, graduate from Army boot camp there. So we were there. We went to the graduate. The graduation lasted 30 minutes, and then we had to drive all the way back down. But the whole time I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, God, if we're going to be in a hurry about anything, let's be in a, let's be in a hurry to build something right that the generations around us can have salvation in. Build it. Build it. Become blameless. Become a righteous person in a hostile culture. Man, I feel this today. Will you just lift your hands all over the building today? I just feel like God's wooing us really almost back to a place of fresh consecration, if I can say it that way. A fresh renewal, if we can say it that way, where God, I just want to recommit. I want to recommission my own life to what you called me to do. And I'm going to do it with all my strength. Lord, I'm going to do it with all my might. Come on, will you just make that a verbal prayer? Will you just begin to say, God, I I commit it to you today. I, I want to be a builder. I want to be a builder in the midst of a rogue culture. I want to be a builder. I want to build a righteousness. The Bible says it's what exalts a nation. Righteousness can only come through the church. So the only way a nation can be exalted has got to be through the church, not through better government. It's got to be through the church. The church has to be righteous. So, Father, we come on, make that prayer. Say, Lord, I'm going to be a risk taker today. Come on, just say, Lord, I'm going to be a risk taker today. It ain't going to make sense, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to trust you one more time. And I'm going to build something eternal. I'm going to build something for the glory of God. I'm going to build something so my family can see it. My family's going to see me working. My family's going to see me energized in my faith. They may not even be in my home, but they're going to hear of the report. They're going to hear of how we're living our life. They're going to hear about what God is doing in our house. Come on, will you take 30 seconds and pray that? Will you just begin to lift your voice? It's not too late. It only takes one to become a movement. I'm a risk taker today in the name of Jesus. Lord, we yield. We surrender. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our life. We surrender our agendas. We surrender our motives to become all that you called us to be. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I don't know if you ever felt this way, but I just want to throw this to you as we go. We're going to pray for Liam. But for 120 years, the whole culture was against Noah. But when the rain started to fall, what he was preaching was truth and everything else was a lie. What he was declaring was the truth. What everybody else was doing had been deceived by a lie. And what proved to be true was the working of God in one man's life. Let that be our prayer today. Let everybody around me. In fact, the Bible says, let every man and let every devil be be called a liar. But let the word of God be found true. Come on, just let the word of God be found true. It's the truth of God's word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's do this. Come on, come on, Liam. Come on up here, Jeff and Pam and Karen, if you guys will come. Let's do this real quick, man. We want to pray over Liam. Oh, my Lord. Is it, is it Blue State College? Huh? Blue, Bluefield State College there. In West Virginia. He's going on a basketball scholarship. Come on, can we give God praise for that? Yeah, come on, Dakota. I didn't didn't see you back there. You know, one of the things that that I just love to do is when when young men or young women, and and, and Liam is is a product of this house. Of course, he's a product of his parents, but he's been raised in this house. And there's a couple of funny stories that your parents would tell about you when you were little. Because you just used to hear me preach back there because you were too little. But, and, and I learned, I learned, I learned in those days that I can't quote King James because little kids will pick it up. Because King James will talk about like a, a jackass. And Liam was walking around saying, Pastor, talking about. But man, just sitting under the word of God begins to mold, shape, and train. And now here you are. A young man going into the next phase of your life. And there's so much God on the inside of you. And really there's so much purity about you. And if I could say this over you, you've not been defiled by the world. You've kept your integrity. I know your mom and dad had to beat a lot of it out of you, but you kept it. I know that. I watch, you've been raised in my house, my personal house. We watch you. My kids call your parents, Uncle Jeff and Aunt Pam. You've been raised. We've been raised together. But I want to say this over you, Liam, as you get ready to make this transition in your life. And that's all it is. It's a transition. A few more years later, it'll be another transition, then another transition. You're never going to leave transition. The scenery changes, but transition keeps transitioning. But I heard the Lord say over your life that I've marked you for greatness. And I've marked you to stand even in West Virginia 
among your peers who will be just as good athletes as you are. You won't be the top of the class. You'll be the bottom. But you're coming in not out of your skill level, although it's part of it, but it's the integrity and the righteousness of your heart that's going to pull people to you because they're going to see a different walk. They're going to see a different demeanor. They're going to see a different drumbeat. And I just believe, I just believe this with all my heart, that as much as we can make God famous here in the Glades region, you can make God famous on Bluefield State College right there on, that, on those basketball fields. You can do that. And I believe that that gift and that nature of God is imparted into you even as an early, early, early baby. You know, you know this. You're a miracle child. You weren't supposed to be here. But your parents believe God, just like they did with Dakota. And you're a miracle child. And I just want to say to you, the miracles have just begun. And God's going to open up a whole other world for you. And he's going to release things over your life. And I just commission you today to be that man of integrity, to be that man of righteousness. Don't go to the drumbeat. Let the drumbeat conform to you and change your environment. Church, will you stretch your hands this way as we pray over Liam today with mom and dad, Dakota. Father, we thank you today. Lord, he's the son of this house. He's the son of this city. He's the son of Jeff and Pam Davis. He's the brother of Dakota Davis. But Father, more importantly, he's a son. He's a son of, he's a son of God. He's a child of the king. His life's been marked with purpose. His his life has been called to be distinct, to stand out among those around him. And God, today, as we release the will of God over his life, Lord, we pray for protection. Lord, we pray that every need that he has will be met. And God, I come against every assignment of the devil that will try to thwart his purpose, every enemy that will come to kill, steal, and destroy. We break its grip. We break its assignment today. And, Lord, we just thank you today, Lord, as he's been released. Woo! Let the testimonies of God, let the miracle power of God, let the resident Christ be made manifest through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we just thank you that you raised him up for this hour, for this generation, for such a time as this. He's a builder. Now go and build what God's put in your hands. Go and do what God's gave you capability to do. We release you now in Jesus' name. And everybody together said amen. Amen. Man, we love to do that. We don't believe that we don't believe the world gets them. We believe they influence the world. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Real quick, we're going to go. We're going to go right here. Maybe you're in this building today. As I mentioned to you all ago, over the last 20 weeks, we've had 28, 29 people give their life to Jesus Christ. And maybe you're in here. And maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe this is the first time or a long time. Or maybe you're in a backslidden condition. And you just know you got to get it right. Today you want to make that prayer. And we want to make it with you. We want to help you. We want to help you find that place. There are two types of people in this room today, those that are born again and those that are lost, those that are saved and those that are not. 
you're in this place today and you want to make sure today none of this stuff will make sense to you without a relationship with Jesus Christ. None of this stuff works for you without a relationship with Jesus Christ. These are supernatural, spiritual things that we're talking about today. It's not natural things. It's supernatural. You're in here today. You can't save yourself. That's why you need a Savior. That's why Jesus came. He came to make an atonement for our sins. You can't make yourself better, but he can. You're in this place today, and you just want to say, you know what, preacher, I just want to make that prayer today. I want to get it right. If that's you in here, real quick, just throw your hand up right where you are. We just want to make sure that everybody is good to go. Just throw your hand up right where you are. You're going to make that prayer today. God bless you. I see your hand right there. Thank you for being obedient. Anybody else? I see that hand right there. Thank you. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to raise that hand. Come on, we're going to make that prayer right here. I see that hand. In the name, I'm going to scan the audience one more time, and then we're going to pray. 15 seconds, and we're walking out of here, and everybody's going home. But this is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life, is to accept Jesus Christ. We're going to pray right here, right here, right now, in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you right there, those of you who raised your hand right there, would you just join me at this altar right here? Come on, church. Give them a great big God bless you. Come on, sir. Come on. There you go. Come on. Come on. Let's give God praise. Amen. 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 God bless you. Ethan, God bless you today, man. I want some, some of you guys come up here with him. Come on. I want you to know, Ethan, you don't stand alone. You don't stand alone. Everybody in this room is about to make the prayer that, you, that you're about to make. Everybody has prayed the same prayer. But I want to ask you to do this, okay? The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. You don't believe with your head. You believe with your heart. You say it with your mouth, but you believe from your heart. And in just a moment here, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And everybody in this room is going to pray the same prayer with you. We all going to pray it out loud. And I'm going to ask you to make that prayer with me. And when you make that prayer, the power of Jesus Christ is going to invade your heart. And your life is never going to be the same again. You're going to begin a brand new journey with him. I want to ask you to do this because our whole church is going to do it with you. In every level of society, throughout every culture, when you raise your hand, it's a sign of surrender. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands like you're going to surrender your life to Jesus. Will you just raise your hands? There you go. Now just pray this prayer with me. Pray it out loud with your mouth and believe in your heart. Just pray this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just like I am. And I'm asking you today to forgive me of all my sins. I repent today. And I'd make a change. I'm turning. I'm turning away from my sins. And I'm turning towards you. And I thank you today that you are faithful to forgive me. And you are just to forgive me. And today I stand from this moment on in right standing with Jesus Christ. And I give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise for Ethan right here. Come on, that's another one right there. Amen. Amen. We thank God for Ethan today. Amen.
That don't ever get old, does it, folks? It never gets old. I'm telling you, God's after people. Power of God. Father, I speak over your people today. Hey, we'll see you Tuesday night. Tuesday night's prayer. Some of you don't believe me. Look at your neighbor and shake them. Say, Tuesday night is prayer. Tuesday night's prayer. Tuesday night's prayer. Father, speak over your people. Bless them coming in and bless them going out. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. See you Tuesday night.